Good morning, Sun Valley. It's good to see you again. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you came with anticipation. Looking forward to hearing from God and uh, fellowshipping with God's people. It's good to see that that's happening today. I look forward to now opening to you the, the scriptures and uh, giving to you what the Holy Spirit has given to me. Sherry and I love spending time at Cannon Beach. We've been going to Cannon Beach quite often over the past, I don't know, 20, 25 years, uh, enjoying that immensely. Um, we enjoy staying where we can just open the door and walk out onto the beach. Uh, that's, we have a certain place we stay that allows that. Uh, and that uh, back door is a, a glass door that uh, we like to open in the evening and uh, turn the gas fireplace on that's inside and sit and watch the sun go down and listen to the waves pounding and leave the door open basically all night. And I mean, we've paid our rent and so um, they should pay for the gas to heat the fireplace, but um, we just absolutely love it. Um, it's it's a, an awesome and wonderful place for us. Uh, we even enjoy being there in the winter. We plan going there uh, this winter, I think at the end of December, uh, and watch the storms. If you've never been there, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing, an awesome thing really, to watch the storms and watch the awesome tide rise quickly and then drop. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Walking on the beach, rain or shine, is wonderful. Now, I've said that enough to help you see what I'm talking about today. Uh, certain things are wonderful. Certain things are awesome. And how do you handle these things? How do you personally handle wonderful, awesome things? Do you ignore them? Do you uh, think passively about them? No, I, I think you would be like me as uh, I think of Cannon Beach. It's awesome. It's wonderful. I, I think about it. I go there when we can. Uh, you get as much of it as possible into your life. If you think it's truly awesome, truly wonderful, you don't just ignore it. And that is right and rational to make much of the things that are awesome and wonderful to you. We've recently returned here to our old friend, Psalm 119. And last week, the last couple of weeks actually, I reintroduced you to this psalm and spoke to you about the theme of the whole psalm and particularly of this stanza that we're in, the Pei stanza, the 17th stanza of the 22 that, that are there. And this stanza is about that very thing. How wonderful is the word of God? How awesome is the word of God? Today, we're going to look at verses 129 through 131 in a little more detail uh, and maybe crack open a little more wonder to you concerning the word of God. Let me read for you these three verses, starting in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. So these verses teach us about what our responses ought to be if in fact the word of God is wonderful to us. If Cannon Beach is wonderful to Sherry and I, we would be unreasonable, irrational to not return there on occasion when we could. 
If the word of God is wonderful to us, what ought our response be to it? These three verses tell us. And I, I hope that you'll hear what they tell us. Not, not just to hear it, but to examine your own heart, to, to fortify your own soul in the matter. The first thing we see in verse 129, if the word of God is wonderful to us, what should we do with it? Obey it. Do you see that there in verse 129? Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. That's talking about obedience. Why do we obey? Hopefully it's not out of servile fear or just for the sake of obedience. I want you to hear from Psalm 19, that is a parallel to Psalm 119. Psalm 19, verse 11, in the way King David spoke of the word of God. Moreover, by them, that is the word of God, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so with obedience comes reward, is what we see here in the scriptures. You remember Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And where do we seek him? But in the word of God. And so the reason we obey the word of God is because it comes with reward. Doesn't God know us well? We respond to reward. I think most humans are like this. This is why we reward our children for obedience, because we respond to reward. Just as God rewards his children with obedience, so we reward our children with obedience. And here we also have the, the concept of, in, back in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19, rather, of warning and reward. I'm going to focus, though, on this concept of reward. What kind of reward are we thinking of? Is the scripture thinking of it? Does God reward us with? Well, just in this psalm we see, that is Psalm 119, we see that God rewards obedience, and we heard it this morning read, with joy. If you're, if you're obedient, God will reward you with joy. Joy, fulfillment, peace, comfort, protection, and on and on it goes. These are the rewards of obedience, according to Psalm 119, just Psalm 119. If we were to move outside of Psalm 119, we'd see those things as well. But also, we could add this, that obedience brings healthy human relationships. Obedience to God makes your marriage better. <laughs> obedience to God makes your relationship with your coworkers better, your, your fellow students better, your neighbors better, if you'll obey the word of God. It also brings forgiveness of sin. Obedience, we are told, brings forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and a vibrant relationship with God. I would say that's a long list of rewards that we're looking at. The reason that we obey is because of the reward. This is, this is really important to see. The, my soul keeps the word of God because it's wonderful, and I keep it because of the reward. But besides warnings and reward, I want you to hear this, and I think this is an important point that I think is in the background of this verse. Besides warning and reward motivation for obedience, listen to this, obedience flows naturally from a regenerated heart. 
Obedience flows naturally from a regenerated heart. If your heart's regenerated by the Holy Spirit, which happens at the point of conversion, then what? You'll be obedient by nature. It'll be in your DNA now that you're converted. Now that you've been transformed, that you've been made new, your instinct is to obey instead of disobey, like we normally do, what we're born with. The only ones who believe that the word of God is wonderful are those who joyfully obey and those who have been regenerated. You won't think the word of God is wonderful otherwise. That's why you obey it. You think it's wonderful. That's why you joyfully obey it, because you've been regenerated. Thomas Manton, the old Puritan, said, reverence is the mother of obedience. Think about that. Reverence is the mother of obedience. Unless your view of Scripture reflects awe and wonder, you'll never be too motivated or concerned about obeying what it says. If it's just a novel, you're not going to obey the Scriptures. There has to be some special place in your heart and mind for the value of the Word of God, the wonder of the Word of God, the awe of the Word of God, if you're going to really obey it. I hope that makes sense to you. This is actually a pretty good test of genuine faith. Let me, let me lay this out here for you, this test of, of genuine faith. Consistent obedience. Can you look at your life and see a pattern of obedience? This seems to be uh, one of the telltale signs of those who have been converted, who've been renewed in heart. We saw this quite a bit in our study of James, if you recall. The study of James is really a long list of tests of obedience or tests of genuine faith, and one of them was obedience. And that's not unique to James or Psalm 119. It's found all over Scripture. Obedience is a test of authentic, genuine faith. Remember what Jesus said about this in John 14? If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. <laughs> So it's obvious. It's the same here in Psalm 119, verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore I keep them. Is God's word wonderful to me? If so, obedience will be a mark in my life. If this word is wonderful to me, you will notice that I'm obedient to it. Not just when it's convenient, not just when I agree with the argument being made in the scriptures, but I'll be obedient, especially when I disagree. Especially when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. That's when obedience really is determined. Secondly, I want you to look at the response in verse 130. So if you believe the word of God is wonderful... If you're awed by what you see in the word of God, not only will you obey it, but look what it says here in verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. You'll open your life to it. You'll open your life to the word of God. It'll, you'll unfold it in your life. This is the second response to the wonder of the word of God. I lay open all the areas of my life to the scriptures in order to gain understanding, to get direction for my entire life. If I truly believe the word of God is wonderful, I'll open my life to it. Right? This, is, this doesn't take too much persuasion. 
the, if you enter a dark room, your, inst your first instinct is what? Look for the light switch. Turn on the light switch. Otherwise, you're stumbling around, you know, you're, you're causing problems for yourself. But as soon as you turn the light on, you can see shapes and colors and the location of furniture. Now you can avoid those things. It's the same way in life. Without the light of God's word, we stumble around not seeing or understanding the shapes and colors of life, constantly bumping into the furniture. So how do you open the word of God in your life? How do you open your life to this wonderful word? Let's talk about it. What does the verse say? Look closely at your verse, 130. First thing is to do is what? Unfold it. In order to open the, the word of God to your life or open your life to the word of God, you must unfold the word. It requires unfolding. Do you remember the explanation for the word unfolding that I gave last week? You remember some translations have that word translated, what, what does it say? Entrance, maybe in some of your Bibles? The entrance of the word of God, the unfolding of the word of God, that, that word, entrance or unfolding, came from the early Hebrews who lived in tents and the doorway to their tents were animal skins and the way they let light into their tent was to unfold that animal skin door to let the light enter. The entrance of light requires the unfolding of that door. That's the word used here. In order for the word of God to enter your life, you'll need to unfold the, your life, to open your life to the light of God's word. How do you do that? Well, we must take up and read. We must study. We must pray over the light-producing word of God. You must regularly sit under the preaching of the word. Unfolding of the word in your life is what it takes to open your life to its influences. You must be exposed to the explanation and application of the word of God. <clears throat> you, you need this throughout your life from beginning to end. Your childhood years, teenage years, Young adult years, marriage and child rearing years, the growing old years, the dying days are all, or all of them necessitate the unfolding of, the entrance of the word of God in your life. I want to I wanna step back a second here and, and show you a progression, though, in this unfolding, a progression in the unfolding of Scripture. Verse 129, look back up there real quickly. Verse 129 says, your testimonies are wonderful. As you remember last week, uh, I talked about this word, including the idea of the word of God being profound, being complex. It's wonderful. This seems to be the opposite, though, of how it's described in verse 130. It brings understanding to the simple. It seems like it's not so complex, not so complex, not so high and lifted up and exalted, but it's simple, it's accessible. So we have these two ideas of the word of God, something profound and yet something simple. Um, we, we, we are to see this in scripture. And I think, it's, I think it's understandable because we see this contrast in nature around us. We see very basic and common everyday things like the moon at night, the rain like yesterday, the flight of birds that we see daily, these things are all common to us. They don't cause us to go, wow, unless, you know, the moon is particularly spectacular some evening. They're, they're common. 
They're, they're not so rare, but there are those more rare things, right? The more complex things that cause us to go wow when we see them, if you see them, even like the un, imperceptible, amazing detail of the subatomic level that you can even see only through microscopes. If you see that, you go, wow. The greatness of the galaxy we live in, you, you, you can see that sort of with your naked eye. But we go, wow, when we see that, because it's, it's more complex, more awe-inspiring than the simple things of seeing a sparrow fly across your yard. But both are part of nature. And, and the same is true of Scripture. There are common doctrines, and there are exceptional doctrines. There are easily accessible doctrines, and there are complex, difficult doctrines. I think it's important to recognize that the Bible has those elementary entry-level doctrines which children can grasp with ease. We might call them common. And these common doctrines are the ones that almost all Christians agree on, right? No matter what church you go to, Christian church, we, we discover that they believe there's one God. We see that they also believe in Jesus Christ, his son, who came from heaven to earth to live the perfect life and die for our sins. This is common to every Christian, every Christian denomination, every Christian church. But the Bible also has the thin air mountaintop doctrines that aren't as easily accessible and as common as these others. The deep doctrines of Scripture need to be mined out of the depths if we're going to understand them and apply them. So not every doctrine is at eye level. There are some that require some effort to get to and understand. And it's because the scripture and creation are a lot like their author. Accessible and obscure. That is our God. He's accessible and obscure. God is at the same time eminent, in other words, accessible and transcendent, obscure, beyond us. He's revealed in the simple Jesus, but also revealed infinitely beyond us, living in unapproachable light, the Apostle Paul says. He's both of those things. And so it would not surprise us to see that his word and the nature he created is also like him. In the prayer book, The Valley of Vision, there's a prayer that I like. It's titled, God Enjoyed. And it begins like this. Thou incomprehensible but prayer-hearing God, known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed, my wants and welfare draw me to thee, for thou hast never said, Seek ye me in vain. Towards the end of that prayer, it, it is, you hear this. I bless thee that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. Oh God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. This is the God of Scripture. He's beyond us, yet he's right here. He's transcendent, yet Christ came. This is how God has revealed himself, unknowable, yet personal, loving, caring, for me. The prophet Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 57, 15. 
For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Pretty impressive. This is what that one says. I dwell in the high and holy place. Now listen. And also with him who was of a contrite and lowly spirit. (laughs) This unknowable, transcendent God, who's beyond our ability to comprehend, condescends and reveals himself to us simple folks. I like that. I think one way to help you understand what verse 130 is saying about the unfolding of your words giving light imparting understanding of simple is to think of scripture as a two-story house with a front porch and a basement. Okay? You got that picture in your mind? The scripture as a whole is like a two-story house with a front porch and a basement. You must begin your study of the word with the portions that are easily accessible and then proceed to the more difficult parts from there. To to get into the inner rooms of the house, you must first step onto the front porch and then into the inner rooms. Is that clear? And and then after you've been on the front porch and in in the front rooms, then you can ascend the stairs or then you can descend into the basement, the more deeper regions, the more profound things. That's scripture. That's what scripture is. The good news is this, and listen closely to this, because I don't want you to get scared by scripture. The good news is that everything we need for life, for salvation, for godliness, are in the easily accessible places of that house, on the front porch, in the front rooms. Everything you need for life, godliness, salvation is there. But we can't stay there is the point of sanctification and spiritual growth. You remember, Paul warned of this in 1 Corinthians. Well, he warned of it many times, but here in 1 Corinthians particularly, um, chapter 14, verse 20, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. See, the scriptures need unfolding in your life. If it's wonderful, you'll unfold it. You'll open your life to it. Unfortunately, some people never leave the porch or the front rooms of the house. They stay there their entire life, seemingly content or oblivious to their need to move deeper. The author of Hebrews said this in chapter 5, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, there's a progression of opening your life to the word, this wonderful word. It begins in the porch in the front rooms and then proceeds from there. To more deeper things. I think this is one reason it's a good idea to teach your children spiritual truths through the use of catechism. These catechisms, most of least, cover the front porch and front room type doctrines, the basic common doctrines of the faith that are critical. These are strong theological doctrinal foundation from which we can build and add to that knowledge base as our spiritual maturity grows. 
This applies not only to our young families, though. It applies to our church here at Sun Valley. It applies to every church. We, we can't just be content to, to sit on the porch on a breezy afternoon and maybe occasionally go inside to refill our tea. We've got to do the work of climbing the stairs or descending into the basement. So it must be unfolded. Now, why must it be unfolded? We see this in the verse. We must open our lives to it because it brings light. Do you see that? The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Unfolding brings light or allows light to enter. That's the point of unfolding. Proverbs 6.23, for the commandments is a lamp and teaching is a light. That's what the word of God is. And the light, of course, has great benefits, doesn't it? Can you imagine being blind? Do you know any blind people? What they have to experience? Having light is a, quite a benefit in our human life, isn't it? Well, it's just as beneficial in your spiritual life. All the benefits of knowing God come from the light of his word. We don't have time to cover all the benefits that come from knowing God and his word, but here is just a few. I've already mentioned some, but here is a few. Salvation. How's that work for a benefit of light? Salvation, forgiveness of sin, mercy, grace, all a benefit of light, the light of God's word. Another benefit, a relationship with this transcendent, high and lifted up God, a personal relationship. That comes from the light of scripture. God reveals himself to us in his word. In order to become friends with God, we must commune with him in his word where he's revealed. Another benefit of the light of the word of God is, as I said earlier, improved relationships with each other. I can learn how to get along better with my wife by the light that comes from his word. I can learn how to get along better and deepen my relationship with you from the light that comes from God and his word. And there's also other things like purpose for life, direction for living, etc. The list goes on and on and on. The benefits of the light that comes to us in the word of God. It has these wonderful qualities, light does, not just in nature but in spiritual matters. It reveals things, just like the light switch in the dark room. Spiritual light from the word of God has excellent properties. It, it, it creates the ability to see color and texture, both physical and spiritual light. By light, we can perceive things and examine them. Light exposes fraud and deception. When you want to see the detail of something, you get a flashlight, even in the daytime, and you shine, oh, there is a scratch there. Right? The light of scripture does this for it. It unmasks worldliness. It reveals deception. Ephesians 5.13, Paul said, but when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. Right? It also gives guidance in all areas of life. Not knowing what to do when you're about ready to graduate from high school or how to deal with peers in high school, the word of God speaks to that. Not sure who to marry or why to marry, the word of God speaks to that. 
Not sure how to raise your children? The Word of God speaks to that. All these different things throughout life, the Word of God gives guidance, direction. If you'll just open your life to it. As God is light, his word is light, and his son, Jesus Christ, is light. John eight twelve, Jesus said um, to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want to not walk in darkness? Get to know Jesus. That's, that's one of the key ways. That's what Jesus said about himself. You, you're tired of walking in darkness, tired of stumbling around, tired of stubbing your toes in life? Tired of ruining relationships? Tired of blowing it? That's walking in darkness. You tired of that? Get to know me, Jesus said. Follow me. I am the light of life. As uh, Rick Lyon mentioned uh, in the liturgy, the, the light of God's word also brings with it comfort and assurance in trying times. <clears throat> have, you, have you referred to the truths of the scripture in this past year? If 2020 hasn't motivated you to open your Bible, I'm not sure what to say. We're presently experiencing a trauma, really, a, a significant trial. Without a knowledge of God's sovereign rule, even over COVID-19, you know that God rules that. It's not just he doesn't control the, the, the universe and the planets. He controls viruses on this planet. Without knowing that, which the Word of God teaches, we might tend to get depressed or discouraged. I've talked to a lot of depressed and discouraged people during this past year, some even in the church. But we know that all things are under the supervision of our sovereign, loving God, and all things, including what we're experiencing today and what we may experience tomorrow, which may be worse, is for our good. But see, there's nothing that enters your life outside of the control of God for your good. Even the things that we may run from if we have the ability to. We're living in the most exciting times for believers, don't you think? And you wish you could go back just 10 years. <laughs> These are the most exciting times. You may have thought it would have been exciting to be in the first century Christian world. I'm certain that was exciting for those there, but I can't imagine a more exciting time in the history of Christianity than today. Think of all that's going on right now in this world, and we get to be in the front row watching it, participants of it, being on the field when it's happening. It's a wonderful time to be a Christian. Listen to Psalm 19. There's that parallel psalm again to Psalm 119. But Psalm 19, verse 8, speaking of the word of God, says, the precepts of the, Lord right, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See, the word of God does us good. It brings joy to our hearts, even in the midst of difficulty, trials, hardship. Even when the world is running with anxiety and fear. That's not our game. 
Here is our game, Psalm 4, verse 6 and 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Out of all that's going on, who's going to show us some good in this? Lift up the light of your face upon us. Light, God's face, lift up the light of your face, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have their grain and wine abound. When it was the best for them, I am more joyful and content now in all these hard times. That's what the word of God does for us, friend. But more important than knowing that God is orchestrating and overseeing everything, and that's significantly important, but more important than that is the fact that the light of God's word is a soul-satisfying light. It's a soul-satisfying light. Have you experienced that satisfaction of soul, that contentedness of spirit from your knowledge of God revealed in his word, especially in these days? It's a soul-satisfaction that isn't matched by anything else. It settles our restless hearts. It eases the distress of our souls and provides a place of peaceful rest. In the word of God comes the message of God's love for us, his plan to reconcile us to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ for eternity. Jeremiah 6, 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That is what we see, discover, experience when our heart pours over the scriptures. I should say, when the scriptures pour over our hearts. This is another test of authentic, genuine faith. Are you open to the word of God? If the word of God is wonderful to you, you will in fact open your life to it. You'll saturate your life with the word of God. You will pour over your life the word of God. You'll take every opportunity to saturate your mind so that you'll grow from spiritual infancy from that front porch to the deeper recesses of this two-story house called Scripture. You'll consistently participate in corporate worship. You'll add Bible study opportunities that come your way. You'll read books that deepen your understanding of God and Scripture. You'll open your life to the Scriptures. It's a test of genuine faith. Are you doing that? Or are you here because your wife makes it hard on you if you're not? Don't answer that out loud. Thirdly, verse 131. If the word of God is wonderful, look at verse 131. What will be our response to it? I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. That will be your response. If the word of God is wonderful to you, you will open your mouth and pant for it because you'll long for his word. This metaphor gives us a great picture of what it means to desire God, to desire his word, a, a panting, a great longing. When, when do you open your mouth and pant? It's when you need oxygen, right? When you, you've run out to the mailbox for all of us in really good shape and you, you know. It's amazing that the only thing that gets you to breathe hard is hoping that you're getting that piece of shipment in the mail. Run out there to get it. 
But you open your mouth and pant when you've exerted yourself and are in need of more oxygen. Your body craves oxygen, and the only way to get that oxygen, the only way to provide for that need is to open your mouth and pant. And the more oxygen you need, the more you pant. Right? Isn't that the, the nature of panting? In the same way, for those of us who are in desperate need of spiritual oxygen, we open our spiritual mouths and pant for God's word, where we find that spiritual oxygen. We pant for what we need. We, we need a word from God. We need a light that comes from him. We need him. And so we pant for him and for his revealed word. This means that I have a genuine desire for God's word because I know what I'm going to find here when I open this book. The word pant has the idea of anticipation. Similar to the anticipation you might have waiting for a birthday party or an anniversary or payday or a vacation. It includes that type of anticipation, this word pant. It also has the idea of craving, like craving salt, and you don't know what you're looking for. You're looking in the refrigerator, you're craving something. I need something salty. What? That's the craving that's included in this idea of panting. The more diligence you apply to your intake of Scripture, that, that panting after, that fulfilling of that need for spiritual oxygen, the more diligence you apply to your intake of Scripture, the more you're going to admire them, the more they will be wonderful to you, the more you'll be awed by them. With eating comes the appetite, we are told. The more you'll wonder, the more you'll experience the word of wonder. The more you'll want the word of wonder. Amazing thing is that this is the opposite of anything worldly. Have you thought about that? This, this is the opposite of what happens with worldly matters. The deeper you examine worldly things, the less you admire them. The deeper you ex examine the word of God, the more you desire them. You see the contrast there? The more you look at the worldly things and examine closely what they are, the less you're impressed by them. You begin to see the flaws, see the problems, and even develop a distaste for those things worldly. But the more you spend examining the word of God, the deeper you go into the word of God, the opposite happens. The more you fall in love with the word, the more you can't be without the word, the more in awe you are of the word. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Verse 27 of this same Psalm 119. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Proverbs 2, 3 through 5. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, open your life to the word, desire it, pant for it. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand and fear the Lord and find knowledge of God. So do you want to grow deeper in Christ? Most Christians would say, yes, of course. There is one way to do that. One way. It's written all over scripture. It's, it's the point of my sermon. It's the theme of this chapter in Psalm 119. It's a theme of the scriptures. It's what P. 
Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, how? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. That's how. There's no secret. There's no shortcuts. Even if you put your Bible under your pillow and go to sleep, that doesn't work as well as hungering and thirsting and panting for the things of God. A deeper walk with Christ comes from a deeper knowledge of God. A deeper knowledge of God comes from the intake of exposure to the word, the wonderful word. The intensity of your panting or wanting of God's word is in direct proportion to your perceived need of it. We all have experienced great desire concerning one thing or another. Intensified motivation. Some of you will relate to what I'm about to say. When you discover or are surprised that your friends are coming over to your house uninvited, uh, unannounced, what do you do? You sit there and, okay, great. No, you go crazy, don't you? We go crazy, don't we? We, we cleaned house faster and better than in the history of mankind. It's amazing how this works. You, you vacuum so fast, you know, the carpet catches on fire, almost, it seems. When there's nothing urgent in front of you, you it takes you three to four times longer to clean your house. And you wonder, why does it take you so long? But when there's motivation, it happens. Chop, chop. It's done. Even if all the dirty dishes are in the oven, it looks clean. Right? Friends, whether we realize it or not, we have that same level, I would say, significantly more intense need of God and his word. If you'll just realize it, your spiritual life, you'll light the carpet of your spiritual life on fire by running that, carp, that, that vacuum back and forth over the word of God. The reason that we ought to pant and desire for the word of God in this way is because spiritual matters are most important, aren't they? Are they not more important than the physical things in our life that we get so worked up about all the time anyway? Are not spiritual matters more significant? And so ought we not to pant, desire for, crave the things of God more than the mundane things of life? second reason that we ought to pant after and desire for with intensity the, thing, the words of God because, because common affection is not appropriate. Common affection is not the appropriate affection for God. It's not okay to like the word of God in the same way you like grilled cheese sandwiches. They shouldn't be in the same conversation or the same universe. If you were to tell your wife that you love her just like you love fishing, you will get in trouble. Have any of you experienced that? Can I hear an amen from any of the men? To say that you desire God's word as much as you desire a steak dinner is blasphemy. 
Deuteronomy 6.5, Jesus quoted this in the New Testament in Matthew 22, but Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. That's how intense it ought to be. Thirdly, the third reason that you pant after the word of God is that only an earnest pursuit will do us good. Only an earnest pursuit will do us good. A lackadaisical pursuit will not do us good. And by the way, good for now and eternity. Fourth, the pursuit of God will affect everyone around us. Your panting or not panting for God, either way, will affect the people closest to you. Every time. Your children will pick up on it first. Strong affections for God will produce life-changing things in the lives of those closest to you. Or the opposite. Fifth, these kinds of passions confirm the presence of the Spirit of God in our hearts. Friends, this is what Christians, true, authentic believers, do. We desire intimately, intensely, the Word of God. If we do not, what does that say about the presence of the God of the Scriptures whose Spirit lives within us? Does He live within us? If you do not desire His Word, if you don't pant for the things of God, that would be a difficult reality to, to explain. This is a genuine test of authentic faith. Do you pant? Do you care about the word, about the God of the word? I, f I think these verses here, 129, 130, and 131, confront the coolness of any heart and condemn weak affections in any of us. Weak affections for Christ. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Jesus said this will be a sign of those who believe. Do you seek God with all your heart? Listen to the good news, friends, in case you're feeling a little bit um, beat up at the moment. Here's good news. God promises to satisfy the seeker. He promises to satisfy the hungry heart, the one who pants. Listen to these verses from Old and New Testament, from poetry, from narrative, from, to prophecy. Psalm 81:10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. All you got to do is open your mouth. John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. God promises to satisfy 
a hungry heart, a panting heart. And if you're sitting here and doesn't really, don't really know what it means to pant for God, you don't really have that experience ever in your life to pursue God with that kind of intensity, to not know what it means to have affection for Christ. If the word of God doesn't seem wonderful and sweet to you, then you must take Jesus up on his offer. Come to me, you who are thirsty, and I'll satisfy that thirst, Jesus said. Come to me, you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. But you must come. You must bring your sin. You don't straighten up before you come. You come as you are. You bring your sin. You lay it at his feet. You believe the promises of Scripture that say, that tell us, that if you'll do that, he will forgive you of your sin bring you into the family of God and walk with you through life and through eternity. But you must come. You must turn your back on your own agenda. You must bring all your sin, all your pride, all those obstacles that are between you and a loving relationship with God. You must bring all that, dump it at Jesus' feet, ask for his forgiveness and believe what the promises of Scripture say, that you'll be forgiven, that you'll be filled that you'll be renewed, reconciled to your creator. What wonderful things. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, our Savior, for meeting us here on the pages of Scripture here in Psalm 119. Thank you for allowing us into a real relationship with our creator here in the pages of scripture. God, I ask that, that you will ignite this fire, this, this burning, raging flame in our own hearts to, to passionately pursue you in, in your word. I pray that, that you will fulfill the promises you've made to those who come who are thirsty, to those who come and are weary. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll fulfill those promises to feed, to satisfy, to forgive. God, if there's anybody in this room this morning who who has not yet bowed their knee to you, who has not yet turned from their own agenda to yours, who have not yet embraced Christ, I pray that by the power of your spirit today, this morning, right now, you will convert their soul. That you'll bring them into a real and loving relationship with yourself, with the God of heaven, because of all that Christ has done for us. Oh God, bless Sun Valley Church as we as we follow you, as we pursue you in your word, bless us with all the blessings, all the benefits, all the, the pleasures of being in relationship with you. Bless Sun Valley Church, Father, as we do this. I pray this because you've promised to do these things. And for the sake of your beloved here, and for the sake of your glory, amen.